0: hey folks welcome to this good word bonus episode today i'm with lenny duncan lenny uh, just released a book called dear church a love letter from a black preacher to the whitest denomination in the u.s (laughs) and if that sounds bold and brassy it's because it is Uh, my sister lisa emailed me uh, recently and said you gotta check out this new book it just came out by Lenny Duncan and so I did and I started reading it and here's the deal Lenny Duncan he's queer he's black he is a preacher in the ELCA and he has been absolutely seized by an understanding of the gospel uh, about freedom and liberation and he also has a really good hopeful critique for the church and it's dedicated to his denomination, but it really is a word for the church, I think, across the world right now, especially in America. Uh, Lenny discusses issues of white supremacy, reparations. He talks about how to change liturgical colors in the church to reflect a more diverse understanding of our story. Uh, He tells his own story about how he grew up and where he uh, found uh, his nomination and his calling. So uh, check out this interview and then get his book. You're going to love it. Folks, enjoy Lenny Duncan. Lenny, how are you today, man?
1: I'm all right, you know, uh, a little road-weary, living out of my uh, suitcase for the last couple of weeks, and got a couple more weeks of that ahead of me. Um, so I'm in Houston, Texas right now at this uh, really great Airbnb. Shout out to the owner of this Airbnb, by the way. Um, let me, I you know, I travel mostly by Airbnb, so I always give people shout outs. So if you're coming to uh, Houston at all, you should stay at the Star Star King Size Bed downtown comma easy access to highways is the yes. name of it. but it's super dope it's hosted by james it's really nice it's over on dark street um and you know it's one of the you know i i, I do airbnb the whole way yeah across the country and anywhere anytime i travel or i do a church event i don't do the hotel um and this place is great it's got a lot of cool art nice size yeah, i can air. see it man
0: i can see even the even the ceiling is kind cool. sort of cool it's got a green and white checkered pattern going on there that's that's funky cool Yeah. so yeah well you you wrote a book called Dear Church and um my sister who's an episcopal priest told me i had to get it that i would love it so i immediately got it and she's like you have to get this guy on your podcast and and i saw that fortress Published you, and so I got a hold of my editor at Fortress that day, and I'm like, "Okay, this book is killer. Can I get a hold of Lenny?" And of course, you were very gracious. Uh, so, but I want to get right into it. You you started writing this, I think, if I'm reading my material right, as a memoir, but then the idea turned into, "Why don't you write this as a as a letter to your denomination, the ELCA?" Uh, I want to hear your background, but talk about that movement first, if you would.
1: Yeah, no, it was like, it's, you know, I mean, and anyone who's ever written knows what this is like, you know, you go to a publishing house with an idea and they're always like, that's great, but we want you to write about this. <laughs> exactly, and exactly. I was trying to, you know, and like, you know, like I'm a, I, I'm a bull in a china shop. I mean, Fortress was the first place I pitched. I happened to land on the desk of someone who follows me on Twitter. Um, so I know like whenever I tell that story, writers out there are like, you know, basically like, fuck you, you know, <laughs> yeah. but like, you know, like, like, you know, I didn't, I don't have an agent. I'm, you know, I'm just like kind of stumbling in the dark and I was pitching this thing called trajectory of grace, which is still in the works, which is like my memoir. And I turned, you know, I was really, you know, in, into the process. My first time doing the process where you pitch, you put together a little proposal. There's some back and forth. And, you know, I was really hopeful. Um, and then they came back to me and said, we don't want to do that. The memoir market is saturated right now. And I was like heartbroken yeah. and they said, but we really would like for you to write a book about where you see the Lutheran church or, uh, you know, the church in general going in the 21st century. And I was like, what? I was like, I'm not writing that. I was like, you know, I'm only like, a, you know, a year into my call. I wasn't even a year into my call. It was a couple months into my first call um you know uh, i'm already a loud mouth you know queer and black covered in tattoos you know what i mean like i was like i'm not gonna have any friends i was like every <laughs> you know every mediocre white dude in the church is gonna fucking hate my guts like i'm not i'm not writing now <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? like i'm not i, I want to have friends i want to have a future like i'm not gonna write this and you know and lisa kloskin shout out to her i always give her a shout out whenever i do an interview um, You know, she's she was just really wise as an editor. And she was just like, OK, but why don't when you feel better about this, why don't you, you know, write a sample table of contents? And for some reason, like her Minnesota nice just infuriated me. And I was like, oh, you want to you want a sample table of contents? I got one for you. <laughs> you know, we're we're going to talk about how the church is queer. we're gonna talk about how it's systemically racist. We're gonna talk about how its roots are racist. We're gonna talk about nationalism. We're gonna talk about how the Conference of Bishops ain't doing shit. we're gonna we're gonna go all the way in. and I sent that. I didn't even check it for grammar. I just sent off like this kind of like angry email. It wasn't even a word doc. I was like, here. And <laughs> I love it you know what I mean? And uh, and um, I sent it about two hours after I got the initial rejection. And uh, a couple of days later, they green-lighted the project. yeah, and that's how Dear Church happened. So then the problem was I had to write this monster. You know what I mean? because like yeah. now i I set really, you know I, I I put things intentionally in it that I was like, they'll never publish this. You know what I mean? And so they're like, and I was like, and some of the stuff, I was like, I don't know how the hell I'll ever talk about that, but we're putting it down. Yeah, <laughs> and I had set this really high bar for myself. And a really high bar for the church that I believed in, right? Because I believe that the church wants to hear this stuff. I believe that people are hungry for this stuff. Um, and so I put more faith, I think, in the in the people of the church um, than most leaders do. You know, and I was like, they want to hear this stuff, you know, and, and, and surprisingly enough, they did. I was right, sort of. Well,
0: kind of. no, I— I think you were right, and what I get out of it is a surprising. Maybe it shouldn't be surprising, but it's a. It 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 is the book is very bold, but it's also saturated with hope, and I think that's what's so catching. Because, um, but it's also really, really raw and 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 true. Um, And so, to me, it feels like a letter to the church. Now, ELCA, sure, but but it feels like a letter to the church universal um and i think that's why
1: if if you're in a mainline denomination or if you're like one of our like progressive evangelical siblings in christ and like look around your church it's mostly white yeah you you can't deny that you know and why why is it you know that 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 all these churches who are supposed to be on the front lines of uh dismantling white supremacy and the black lives matter movement and want to be so progressive what you know why don't you reflect that you know and it can't just be you know demographics that's a that's a lame excuse i I don't think jesus at the kingdom of god is going to be like well the democrats weren't here in this section so you know we we tried not to make a section of the kingdom but here it is you know like that's not going to happen right so like what are we doing yeah
0: well what moment do you think we're in uh, as a church? Like, uh, how would you define that?
1: So, in the book, I say, um, you know, and 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 I and I and I, and I try, and I don't say it just for shock value, and I don't say it just to, value, I it just, uh, to be, um, I don't know, verbose, or you know, it's not. I, I don't put it in there just to like catch your eye in the book. I, I'm not even sure what words to use. Great writer, I am. Um, but I, I say we're on the edge of a theological civil war. Yeah, and I mean that to the core of my being. And I think it's a time of great hope. I think that um, I think that particularly conservative. I hate the words conservative and progressive, but just to give listeners like an idea of the ideological spectrum. And in the book, I'm a lot harder on progressives than I am on conservatives. To yeah. be real honest with that's you, that's great. You? Um, I'm, I'm harder on my team cause I, I feel like, you know, like let's clean up our house. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, but, but I think that what we're seeing is, is that the really, and I'm not even saying extreme, I'm just saying conservatism in, in and of itself is a failed experiment that's right. collapsing in on itself. Yeah. We're seeing that, you know, um, we're seeing that from public leaders. We're seeing that from churches. We're seeing that from these, from really large churches, um, you know, like, um, that end stage capitalism has really infected it, and then we're seeing it at the highest levels of government, right? Yeah. So these people, these folks have convinced themselves that if they overturn Roe versus Wade, if they, you know, I mean, and let's not forget that that the moral majority was found originally on segregation, yeah. right? It was yeah. only later they, they they turned to abortion because it was a winning issue for them, yeah, because they could make, politicians who were against it you know they could always pull out the oh you don't want you don't want babies to live like they knew that like they knew that they had a winner in the public eye right but their first issue was segregation yeah. their first issue was they did not want black peoples coming to their private christian schools hmm. i mean i mean that's that that's what they were founded under so so i, I think what we're seeing is we're seeing this is a failed experiment yeah. right so here they are they're all the justices they want and the country's in turmoil they're they're they they have their own secret police force called ICE which mm-hmm. is like a you know um you know um the Eric Gardner um uh verdict just came down I mean not verdict but the Justice Department has just decided uh, you know the day that we're recording this that Eric Gardner um you know that that's not worth investigating right mm. the um um, the way that the, 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 president of the United States, and I always say his name, Donald J. Trump, you know, this dude, you know, talked about four women of color in Congress and, and, and I have about as much faith in the democratic party as I have in like, literally, I, I you know, in, in in any of them, right. don't have a ton of faith in them, but like his overt racism to women of color, right. And, and and what they represent right and the possible change to the demographic i mean this is a this is a failed experiment yeah so i think it's a time of great hope in the sense that we have an opportunity to reset what the gospel of jesus christ and the jesus movement means for the for the next 500 years you know so that's why there's so much hope in this moment it's also a time where we have to pay attention we can't get overwhelmed by it. We can't just stop paying attention because it's too much. I mean, these are all classic propagandists and, and and nationalist tactics. They overwhelm you with things. No one can even tell us, you know, just this last weekend, 2,000 families were supposed to be targeted by ICE, right? But what happened to that? It's three days later. We haven't even heard about arrests. Right. It's the third time to threaten that, right? Um, so, I mean – you have to, you know, so, I mean, that's that's part of their tactic is to overwhelm us with this stuff. Um, but I think we're seeing that conservativism, particularly uh, far-right evangelical theology, um, and I don't even like using the word evangelical, because if you know what that means in Greek, it's bullshit that they even have it. Um, but, 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 you know, like, we're seeing that this is a failed experiment. And we're seeing that people rise up who are, you know, saying something, the rabbis of the world, the William Barber's of the world, yeah. you know, we're seeing people rise up and kind of speak out against this. Um, and this is a time of great hope. At at the most perilous times in our country and in the church, the greatest things seem to happen.
0: Oh, I love that. Um, and you and you brought up evangelicalism, you brought up the gospel, and of course, you put those two together. That's That's what... Evangelical means at its core the Greek euangelion. How would you define the gospel as it relates to your understanding of Jesus and your understanding of freedom and what needs to be set free?
1: Yeah, I think that all of scripture is the story of a liberating God Who over and over again has moved closer to the world to free oppressed people and by doing that that God has interacted in human history in different ways uh, and I, I think that's the the core of the gospel message the core of the gospel message is that a loving God who's closer to the world and Interacts with human history to free oppressed people and it's usually yeah. through the form of liberation and that liberation could be literal liberation like with Moses in Egypt or it can be spiritual liberation that 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 uh, you know, Amos offered the people once they were settled into their ways. Or it can be a combination of socio-political, spiritual, and religious liberation, like Jesus offered. And then even you know, we're really hard on Paul in mainline churches. But Paul, I mean, white people are always looking for examples of how they can use their power and privilege. Then read Paul, because Paul really, really leveraged his position as a roman citizen unto the point of death right and that's why each letter is so inherently different and seems to contradict each other you know what i mean because because you know what i mean he was writing to different people in different places and the reason he was doing that stuff was because he wanted to leverage different levels of privilege for different peoples and you know and, and and over and over again paul does this you know what i mean and so um you know, I always say, well, how can I use my power and privilege? It's like, all right, well, read Philemon. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like like you know, like like what happens when a leader, you know, um, you know, like Paul, you know, Paul says, you know, Paul compares a someone who was property, right? That Philemon owned one Simus and says, This is my brother in the gospel. This is my partner in the gospel, right? So Paul is the patron in this situation, lifts up the person whose property in the situation is the same level as the patron, yeah, which is yeah. above Philemon, right? But does it in this way. He's like, you know, and if you want to own my brother in the gospel, my <laughs> partner, I guess you can, right? And, you know, and people don't even study the history of what happened to one w- Simon. There's good evidence that he became one of the first bishops in the early church. Yeah. After. So, you know, um, I, 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 think, I, I think that's the key theme. The key theme of the gospel and of scripture in general is liberation for oppressed people, right? And whether that's self-oppression, you know, um, uh, you know internalized oppression or if that's oppression by um, radically abusive governments um, or whether that's oppression by radically religious people, you know, um, over and over again, we see that, that, that God has a, a hunger a hunger for people
0: to be free. Oh man, I love that so much. Uh, And I think, you know, we do see a contrast in some of the defensiveness of a lot of religion these days. And, And you mentioned that you think conservatism is collapsing around itself. And it feels like the more it's collapsing, the more it gets defensive about the Bible, about truth, about, you know, its agenda. And so my question is like, why do you think it's collapsing and what do you think it's trying to defend?
1: Yeah. I think part of it is um is the same problem that mainline Protestantism is kind of suffering under and that's that the 1950s were an aberration in church history and you and US church history. You know, um the world really faced the brink in World War 2 and people came back with this sort of existential crisis of well, if that was the face of evil, because the only quantifiable thing we have as theologians, we can point to evil in the world. We're like, you know, this shit's real, right? you You can say everything else is not real, but this is real, right? you're You're experiencing this. Um, and so the world kind of came back with an existential crisis, and it affected Europe really differently than it affected the United States. And I think part of it was Victor syndrome, right? that we had we, we had declared victory, we had saved the world. Um, Whether To what extent you believe that's true, I mean, I have a very subversive American history, but, you know, I mean, to whatever extent you think that's true. And so, you know, churches swelled with people. Churches swelled with people, with families, with people who wanted to turn the page after World War II, and that was an aberration. That, you know, in 400 years of religious history in this country—well, Christian religious history, rather— um, not religious history. There's thousands of years of religious history here. Um, but in 400 years of Christian religious history here, that had never happened before. You know, the numbers that we have now are closer to the numbers of 1910 and the late 1800s, which was about the American norm. You know, you're talking low 20s. You know, <laughs> that's, the, that's the norm. Um, and so I think that the church in general really believes um, that things should be like it was in the 50s, which which will never happen again unless the world reaches the very edge. And I also think that the problem is is that after the 50s, which is what happened in 200 BC, which is what happened to Luther, you know, that raging anti-Semite. I mean, what 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 happened was is that people do revolutionary things and empire always finds a way to shift the way that it lives, shift the way it interacts with the Jesus movement, and then pulls it in. And so the American Church was really, you know, the first one invited, you know, like like you know, the first one invited, they always had a seat at the table, whether it was with you know corporate, you know, interests, whether it was government interests, whether it was local municipalities, whether it was the police, whether it was whoever, anyone who had power always, you know, gave us a seat at the table. I think what people, what the church is discovering is that we don't have a seat at the table anymore. And so I think that's the thing that, that particularly conservatism is trying to hold on to. They want a seat at empire's table, right? And I think the, the, the most powerful thing to do would be for us to not, you know, um, uh, to not have any seat at the table, you know? so. I, I mean to to reject the seat at the table to set a whole new table that's more indicative of the 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 banquet of God you know and I, and I think um some people they, they they don't want that you know and for for various reasons right um some people are convinced that we're supposed to be like that and I I, I think what we find out in scripture over and over again is that um you know that 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 the Jesus movement rejects any of that stuff, that none of it has anything to do with what the Jesus movement is really about. And, you know, and that it's the antithesis of who we are when we gather um, in these sort of uh, 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 governments, empires, and rulers. You know, it's, it's the thing that fights princes and principalities, doesn't sit under them. Oh, man, that's so true. I
0: love that. Uh, okay, jumping to a different thing. One of the things you mentioned in your book that I love, it's so sort of small but but subversive is you mentioned that even liturgical colors tell a story, and that needs to change. Talk some more about that,
1: yeah, so I you know I think symbols are important um, and I think the, so I think as 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 Christians, I mean, and this is mostly because mainline people really struggle with believing that like demons are real, really. Struggle in believing that healing is real, right? Really struggle in believing that that we've been empowered to do the things we see in the book of Acts and stuff like that, right? And I think that's because that stuff's been hijacked. I think there's really good reason why people don't believe that stuff. I also think that we're doing ourselves a disservice. And a lot of times in a lot of mainline churches, we just have created really polite agnostics, as a local pastor says to me a lot in New York City. But having said all that, the, I think our greatest inheritance as the as the Christian church is the story. We've been giving a story, and it's a compelling story. It's a story that's been over and over again used. You know, I mean, the hero's journey, you know, over and over again has been used. And I, I think we have the most compelling story in the world. The way we tell that story has theological implications. So... If at Easter, in a liturgical tradition, only white is used to represent resurrection, or white is used to represent baptism, or white is used to represent the leaders up front, yes, yeah, white robes and white albs and, and, and white paraments and all that stuff, right? You're saying something whether you think you're saying something or not. It's and, and and so and 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 so we're telling a story. So the way we tell the story is very important. You know, um when I was in seminary I had a guy say to me, you know, one of one of the professors, I said, you know, it's kind of weird that we all wear white robes with hoods. That has a connotation in my culture, right? Black man, that has a connotation. And the reply, you know, that was often said was, and, and we had this really famous liturgical theologian who I respect and a lot of my work's based off of. And what he, you know, the story that was passed on that he said, I never heard it from him, is that, you know, he said, you know, one of the deans of the chapel said, well, I'm not going to let a blip in history change 1800 years of apostolic tradition. And my reply was that blip in history kicked my fucking ass. I'm still in that blip in history. Right. So for you, it's it's this moment in time for me. It's the entire culture that has shaped my entire people and generations of them for 400 years. So I'm concerned about it, you know? Um, and so, like, what do we do with that stuff, right? What, how do we start to tell the story in compelling ways? You know, some of the stuff I talk about is, like, you know, instead of saying your dark side, you say your shadow side, so we know the difference between that and the light. Um, that we don't call white, white. We talk about the light. I mean, there's like all kinds of little things I talk about, but I think it's one of the great um, endeavors of our time. And I'm just trying to start the conversation. I'm certainly not saying like I have all the answers, but I certainly want to start the conversation. And I certainly want to find ways to queer the liturgy. You know what I mean? Like, you, know, like you don't have to say he, him, his for every reference of God, like ever. Let it go, like. Right? You know, like even Adam was androgynous until, you know, until, you know, until that moment when the binary was created. And we're not even sure if the binary was created in the way that we think that the Hebrew poetry says in Genesis. So, I mean, all all that stuff, you know, all that stuff, I mean, it, we, we need to look at it. We need to look at the way we tell the story, because what we're doing is we're reinforcing images over and over again, um, and into our children that are hard to shape. And, you know, language matters, words matter, um, in the way we use them. Cause that's, that's like the, you know, we have three, in my tradition, we have three things. We have word, bath and meal. So, you know, it's one third of the sacraments, right. You know, that, that affects the way we do the meal and we, you know, and, and we do the bath. I mean, you know, when I do the litany of saints, I say stuff like Martin, you know, referring to the Reverend King, uh Malcolm, referring to Malcolm X, Marsha P. Anderson, you know what I'm saying? Like these are the saints I use in the Great Thanksgiving when I go to the table to to do communion. Like, you know, like I add these things and 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 I think there are little ways you can be subversive throughout that work, but it has an effect. It you know, people people notice that stuff and it matters.
0: Oh man, I think it totally does matter, and uh, I I felt challenged even, and I never really thought about it that way, but to change some of the way that we do uh, liturgy and liturgical colors. So uh, another question I have is, you talk really eloquently about uh, reparations, but before that you talk about the idea of uh, repentance. And you talk about the idea then of reconciliation. And as a white man, I think it's so important for me to hear because I think sometimes it's like, oh, just tell me what to do to to tell me how we can be reconciled. Tell me even about reparations. And it's like, no, 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 no. Hold on, hold on, hold on. You wrote and you say uh, we need to kind of sit with repentance for a while before we get to reparations.
1: Yeah. So I think I think um, I think particularly when we talk about racial justice um, or we talk about anti-racist work or we talk about, you know, liberation work, particularly black liberation and white folks in mainline you know churches are presented with this stuff. There's a couple things that happen. One of them is what you talked about. Tell me what to do and I'll do it. It's like, again, putting the emotional and social and spiritual labor back on the person of color. I, I, I think I think that's one reaction. Another one is and I always get this and, and you know. Because when I'm when I'm speaking to our team, you get more of that, right? But when you're speaking to people who are like, there's some people who aren't on board yet, right? And what you get in those groups is when, you know, and it's always at the end. You know, someone stands up and they give you a speech about how they march with Martin or some shit. And, you know, when is reconciliation? When do we get reconciliation? Um, and so, one of the things I talk about in the book—it's a chapter called uh, "Repentance, Reparations, and Reconciliation"—because I think that's the proper cycle. Um, and there is a moment, if you're in a liturgical tradition, where the the, the pastor, the priest—you know—she stands up in front of everyone, and then they say words like, you know, um, you know, confessing the the communal sin, right, of that of that community. And then there's a moment in between when that happens and when the words of absolution are declared. And in that moment, I think there's a lot of work to be done. That's where reparations can happen. And you know that moment because people stand there. Like if you, if you as, a, as a leader of a church, if I stretch that moment out where I just sit and I listen, you can hear the floorboards creak, you can hear people shifting in their seats because it's really uncomfortable. And you, know, and, you know, and then you'll get someone who will even go <clears throat> and try and move it along. You know, and I think that's it. We we need to sit in that moment. There's nothing wrong with sitting in that moment, particularly as people who know we've been freed by the acts of the cross. We know on the cross the universe was shattered and the cosmos was changed. Right. But like, but like there's a moment of like, wow, like this is where I'm at. Right. This is who I am, and this is who we are as community, and we can sit in that, and that's where reparations and amends and the constructive work of dismantling white supremacy happens, right? That's where those ideas and that fire is born.
0: Uh, I think that's really challenging, but I also think it's, it's one of the best parts of your book. I loved it. I love that part, and um, it, it's something to really sit with. Okay, so uh, if we want to get a hold of you, if we want to read your other work, if we want to book you to speak somewhere, uh, where can we get a hold of you online?
1: Yes, so LennyDuncan.com, and I'm Lenny Duncan on everything. So like Skype, I'm Lenny Duncan on uh, uh, Twitter, Instagram, um, or at the worst, it'll be Lenny A. Duncan, but you'll find me, I'm there and uh but on lennyduncan.com you there's you know you can contact me hit me up um and you know I'm usually pretty responsive
0: oh yeah you've been totally responsive that's part of what i loved about um just how you immediately got back to me and uh, i loved our conversation uh so okay last question is there anything that you wished i would have asked you that i didn't ask you
1: um no, I mean, I think, I think, I think this is one of the better interviews I've done recently, to be honest with you. Really, you can clearly read the material.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, of course, man. Uh, and it helps that it's really, really good stuff. So, Hey, uh, where are you going tonight? You're in Houston. Where are you going to be? And then where are you going from there?
1: Yeah. So Houston, uh, I, I'll be a kindred, um, Montrose and, um, tonight and then i'll be in philadelphia at havertown uh temple lutheran havertown on friday Um, monday i'll be in portland oregon i don't know where i I think it's called central lutheran but like hopefully i ain't not screw that up because they've been really kind um it's now in salem that next wednesday i'll be in salem baltimore um in uh, in baltimore maryland so that's where i'm at for the next couple of weeks and then after that so i am doing saint paul with humble walk in september so and um you know and, and the great thing about the book tour is like look i only read the intro chapter i talk a little bit about some of the same stuff we're talking about right now but where the magic happens you know i have a friend she's a writer and when she does a you know a book event she always calls it questions and opinions So the question and opinion section is like really where the magic happens. It's, it's been, it's been fun um, trying to answer some of these questions and like, you know, and also being in, I've tried to center like women of color or queer folks at every stop. um, You know, and if I can't do that, then at least like highlight the local ministries. Um, You know, I've tried to make sure that there've been other people along the way. um, So you can hear about their work too. So like tonight's Rosella White and her book, I uh, love big Bishop Mike's that is coming from the Gulf Coast Synod and the ELCA. And I'm going to eat his ass alive about what the conference officials is doing. You know, Mike's a good guy, but I'm, I, it's a shame because the, the ones who show up, you know what I mean? They're the ones who get and the ones who don't care, don't show up. Right. Because they're cowards. Um, <laughs> I don't know why I'm constantly calling all my bishops cowards, but cowards. Um, and, uh, you know, and. um. And, you know, and, and so there's like cool stuff like that. Emily Scott in Baltimore is the Q&A. Tahina Rash is the doing Q&A. Um, you know, both are writers and speakers. Um, both are queer. Well, one's a queer woman. One's a woman of color. Um, you know, I mean, you know, uh, in Philadelphia, it's going to be Crystal Cheatham doing a Q&A. Who, uh, our, Bible out, our Bible app, which is a progressive Bible app, um, totally expansive and, you know, doing really good work. And so she's a black woman, queer black woman who owns a Bible app, and it's amazing um so you know, like I'm trying to do that kind of stuff on a tour and like people you know highlight the other stuff that other people are doing and 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 the question and opinion section has been really rich, you know, um really rich and really fun um and I'm also me wherever I go, you know what i mean like i'm 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 the same jackass you know that you'll meet at <laughs> at, at at you know at, at his church or in brooklyn or on the road or at a book event or over dinner or at you know a church you know a national church gathering i'm the same jackass i'm saying the same you know the same bullshit to my betters i shouldn't be saying you know like i i i don't hide i don't equivocate and i you know and i think people are looking for authenticity
0: right oh man yeah i totally agree Well, listen, Lenny, thanks so much for coming on. Have a great time in Houston tonight and then wherever your book tour takes you. Uh, Everybody, make sure to go out and buy Lenny's book. Again, it's called uh, Dear Church, and it is so good. Lenny Duncan. Hey, friends, thanks so much for listening to This Good Word. If you love this podcast, there's three ways that you can support my work. One is by jumping on Patreon, patreon.com slash this You can become a patron at various levels and get lots of good free stuff, including free tickets to any live events that I do, signed books, and other stuff. The second way is to share your favorite episodes via Twitter and Facebook, uh, email, however it is that you share content. Let some friends know that you love it. And then third is to go on iTunes and leave a rating or a review. So thanks so much, my friends. We are dust and breath. We are limited and limitless. We are human and holy, and we are in it together.